good day, everybody. Thank you for listening. This is another exciting episode of Growing Your Successful Business, a podcast all about uh, all things small business. Uh, and I just want to say thanks again for you guys listening. I really appreciate it. And uh, again, don't be afraid to tell a friend or a coworker or an associate or a family member about our little podcast here. If you know somebody who's running a business or managing a business or owns a business or something like that. Uh, again, you can reach me at, uh, or you can find all my information at growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. You can find all the links to our, our various ways you can listen or watch this podcast. You can also email me at brian at brianlharding.com if you're interested in being a guest or if you have some questions you want us to ask somebody or you have some suggestions on how we can make this better. We're all about that kind of thing. Uh, today, we're super excited to have on Greg Anderson, author of Small Business Sales WTF, which stands for Without the Fear. You can reach Greg, uh, or you can find his information at uh, smallbusinesssaleswtf.com. You can email him at greg at, greg at smallbusinesssaleswtf.com, or you can reach him at 206-769-3974. Greg was born and raised in Gig Harbor, Washington. He has a BA in communications from Western Washington University. His first sales job was in the ladies' shoe department at Nordstrom's. I can't wait to hear about that. That had to be super exciting. Um, I got a lot of questions about that. Uh, he spent the last 30 years working in sales as a business development manager in the printing industry. And in that time, he's worked with clients that are sole proprietors and also clients that are with Fortune 500 companies. And uh, so first of all, thanks a lot, Greg. Yeah. Uh, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having um, me. Super excited. Of course, sales is a big part of any any business. Some would argue um, that it's the most important part of any business, uh, and I, I don't really have a small. <laughs> I'll make that I, argument. I don't really have an argument against that, uh, uh, although I think there's competing things for sure. But um, you can't have a business if you don't have sales. I think that's pretty much business 101, right? Correct. Um, so you've written a book on this on this uh, super exciting topic that scares the hell out of most folks. Uh, Why did you write the book? What makes you an expert in this kind of stuff? Well, after 30 years working with large and small customers, I realized just how little resources there are, a few resources there are for, for uh, very small businesses. So I thought, huh, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll explore that. You know, just below that consultant level where people, the b- big consultants are up here, I'm right below that. Where right. the single person proprietor can't afford a huge consultant to come in and assess their business. Right. But there's a huge need for that to grow your business to get to a big business. So I thought, I did some research. Not a lot of people in this space. And so I thought, mm, I better put this 30 years of background to work right. and actually and share my knowledge. Right. So so uh, first sales job is in the ladies' shoe department at Nordstrom's. Tell me about that for a minute. I'd, yeah. love, to, I'd love to hear about what that was like. <laughs> well, that was my first exposure to sales. And it was great. It was fantastic. And uh, But being kind of a, I don't know, I wouldn't say type A. I'm type B+. Okay. Uh, you had to wait for customers to come in. Right. Right? And I thought, that's just not going to work. And I'm not going to be the guy out there in the street corner with a spinner sign. That's just not my idea either. Right. So I need to figure out how to bring people in. And that's how I got into the printing side of the business. But uh, but it was it was interesting. You know, you, you always you learn real quick after the first sale that don't bring out 10 pair. Right. Because you'll be with one customer for three hours. Yeah. Bring out one pair. If they like it, bring back nine colors of that pair. Right. And you'll sell eight sets. Interesting in point, because when, when I read uh, Ladies' Shoe Department in Nordstrom's, the first thing I thought was, you know, spending an hour and a half with somebody who just enjoys the shopping experience more than they do making a purchase, maybe, and how much time you're spending there just 
entertaining somebody versus actually making a sale. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And you can and you're you're rated by your sales per hour. Right. So you go out there and you spend an hour and a half, and then you go back and get in line because your coworkers are waiting in line to come out too. Sure. If they're not busy, so you got to wait again in line to go back out to talk to the next person. So there's you've got to learn really quickly. You know, make the process happen. Take care of them, but but keep it going. Right. So I'll, I'll ask you my other shoe-related questions <laughs> when we're done here. I'm sure nobody else cares about that but me, but I, I find that very interesting as a, as a profession. So uh, this book is intended for very small businesses, and uh, 10 employees or less. Is that what you're considering a small business? Well, yeah, I'd go a little bit smaller than that. I would say if you're an inventor and you have a neat product and you want to wrap a business around it, this is the time to start thinking about sales. Right. If you're a sole proprietor, right, mm-hmm. you still have to sell. You can't just rely on business to come in on its own. Right. It just doesn't do that very often. It does, which is great, but you can't rely on that. So I would say from there, I'd say 0 to 10, 0 to 15, that's about what I'm playing. You get above 20, 30 employees, there's some big consultants out there that like to charge you a lot of money right. to come in and assess your entire business. I'm focusing on sales, a very narrow segment. Gotcha. And sales is one of those things, uh, there's a handful of things that are really scary for people in, in running a business. Accounting is one, legal is one. HR should be one, although some people aren't even aware enough that how scary they sh- or how scared they should be when it comes to <laughs> HR. Um, but sales ranks right up there, and we've talked about in the you know many of these podcasts we've had up until this one, we've talked about um, you know the deer in the headlights look that people get when when they when they've come to me personally and say, hey, I really want to hire an outside salesperson, and I say that's absolutely the worst thing you should do right now. You should go out and be an outside salesperson, and they you just see the look of terror come over their face oh yes what what is that all about what is what is what is this fear when it comes to sales what's that all about well let me tell you a quick story i i had a customer who i asked a question i said how did you get this order because her order comes to me i'm in the printing right the printing industry so she said i don't know and this is a huge order right and uh i said well who sent them your way how did you i don't know she had no clue about where the order came from and i said what if this person has 10 friends who do the same thing and they have 10 friends. Right. Why Do you ever actually go out and sell your services because they're great? And she said, no, uh, that's where WTF came from because she didn't use the acronym. Right. She said, I said, why don't you sell? And she said, scares me to death. Right. I don't want to call anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't know. And I thought, wow. So I told her about my book, which was in progress at the time. Yeah. She said, oh, I need your first copy off because right. I need to do that. I said, yes, you do because you're not going to live on the water with a fancy car like you have without – Keeping that, that, that was her hobby job, and it made way more money than her day job. Right. And yet she was trusting her entire future to chance yeah. and hope, and that's just, that's dangerous. Right. So it helps. So how do people overcome the fear? What, 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 are, you, what are your instructions or what are your suggestions that, to folks to, to, or is it just understanding the process and reminding yourself it's not personal and it's just a numbers game in some cases? I mean, what, what, what is the method to overcome that fear? Well, there's a lot. There's a lot. We could list a bunch of bullet points. But one of the things is people view sales a certain way. And you get that from, you know, TV shows and the, right. and the, and the 6 o'clock call at night and the door-to-door salespeople. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. You, you have to view sales as more of a conversation, mm-hmm. right? If you have the information and you're a subject matter expert and you're having a conversation, next thing you know, they buy from you. Are you selling or are you just having a conversation? I think if you put too much pressure on yourself to think you're a salesperson, mm-hmm. uh, you, you can panic. Right. And the fear alone can be paralyzing. And so I find that I'm, I'm probably the shyest salesperson you'll ever meet. I don't golf. I've never networked. Don't tell my <laughs> boss. I've never networked in 30 years. Right. But I have a personality. My workaround is, is effective. So I don't have to go out and pass out business cards in the salad line. 
Right. It's just not my style. I wish it was. I'd probably sell more if I did. Sure. But you need to take away the the connotation of what being in sales. What I talk about is not necessarily how to become a professional salesperson, just to understand enough about the process as a small business owner so you know what you're doing. You can actually coach somebody to do what you want them to do. Right. And dissect it when it's not working. So don't have to be an expert, but know enough is all, all I really am trying to impart. Gotcha. So um, for folks who are, you know, when, they, when you first approach them with this and they say, oh, my gosh, I have no, no desire to do this and it scares the hell out of me, what's the first thing you tell them to do? What's the first thing you say to do to overcome that? Well, I've always tried to keep a positive note. You notice the title of the book is Positive and Negative at the same time. Right. It mentions fear, but without the fear. Uh, don't, don't get too wrapped up in this. You know, you, you, but I do go a different direction. I'll say, well, okay, what happens if business dries up tomorrow? Right. Or next month, or next quarter. And they're like, well, business is good. And I go, I know. It was in 2007 also. Right. In 2008, people had a different answer. Right. So I said, so you never need it until you need it. I said, so you, you just got to figure out a way to understand that every business, I don't care how big or how small, every business has a sales element. Right. And you have to have it. If you don't, you may grow, you may not. You can just flip a coin. Right. That's so, so it sounds like you're shifting the fear from the act of sales to the, the fear of the company going out of there's, there's always a bigger fear out there, <laughs> right, right? right? I mean, right. I've been in sales 30 years, and you think, oh, my gosh, what if I have a bad quarter? Well, you can have a bad month, too, right? right. You, you've got to take care of business, and you've got to realize, as a small business owner, whether you like it or not, you signed up for sales right. in some capacity. You don't have to go out there and be a professional, right. but you do have to understand it. Yeah, and I, and I do uh, – I, I have encountered many, many people who own a small business – who are in various phases. They could be a month in or, or six years in. And the idea when they started the business was, I'm really good at making my widget, whatever my product or service is, and I'm going to do well enough to then hire a salesperson who's going to really take me to the next level. That yeah, seems yeah. to be kind of the prevailing thought in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, from my perspective, that's absolutely the worst possible scenario. <laughs> well, yeah, who's going to train them? You, you, a person who's, who's never been in sales? Right, who's going to train them? Who's going to manage them? How do you know what the expectations should be? Um, how how could you possibly empathize with them uh, when they have a bad month or they have a bad week or they go through a spell where there's there's just nothing happening? How could you coach them up? I mean, it's um, everything. And if this person can figure out how to go out and sell your widget uh, better than you, well, you've just created your your worst competitor or your best competitor, however you want to look at potentially, that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so one of the one of the dilemmas that you mentioned also is is time, and and you've got. You've got 43 things you should be doing in any given moment. Sales is oftentimes near or at the top of the list of things you don't want to do, but you need to do it. So the, the dilemma is, you know, how do you carve out time to do the thing you don't want to do in the first place? So how do you address that? Yeah, sales is kind of like being a small business owner because really I am a small business owner within my company. I own my business, right? right. And, and the sales process has, let's say, 300 steps. At some point in the day, you're doing a little bit of all of those. Somewhere, you've got to change gears and, and focus for a minute on this, focus for a minute on that, and just, you know, as a small business owner, you're on the roof, putting the roof on, you got to come down, uh, make a call, do a follow-up, you've got to do the books, you've got to the janitor, you're everything. Right. And so somehow you have to figure out a way to change gears, you know, like I said, if it's as simple as coming down at lunch off the roof, if you're a roofer, making a quick call to a, a past customer, asking him how the roof looks, is it, is it working well, you know, I, I make my living on referrals. That's a sales call. But it's just a conversation. Right. 12 of those a year, one of those a week, that's 52. I mean, those calls will add up. And next thing you know, people will be calling you while you're on the roof, which right. is what you want. Right. You don't want that slammed in January, 
dead in February, March, slammed in April. That cycle, that cyclical nature of, of sales is is devastating. Right. For crewing, for right. a whole host of reasons. For the bankers who are panicking. Sure. <laughs> so sure. you need that level for, load that. For your spouse. For, for your, <laughs> your 401k, whatever you right, want. Right, right, yeah, right. But, you, but you have to figure out a way to smooth that, that out a little bit so you're not feast or famine. Because right. you can't plan. You can't rehire the person you just laid off because they found a job somewhere else. Now you have nobody you can hire, and you're all of a sudden busy. Right. So how are you going to do that? Are you going to manage that? And it's a good problem to have, having to hire, but you don't want the reverse of having to let them go because you're in that trough. Right. So so it sounds like in, in some ways what you're saying is take the pressure off of the sales process being a, a, uh, a yes or no kind of a process, which is what we all tend to do. We need to convince customer Y to buy product B, and we're going to come to a point where they're going to say yes or no. And that, if they say no, that feels really squishy to us, and we don't like that. And, and uh, we, we, you know, that's, that's where we are repulsed by this whole sales thing, is being told no and the fear of rejection. And fear blah, of blah, rejection. Blah, all that kind of stuff. So it sounds like what you're saying in many ways is just to shift your, your idea of what sales is from this yes or no proposition to I'm just sharing information and I'm going to be a resource for people. And when they need, they have a need for a product I, or service I provide, then I'm the resource they're going to go to because I haven't put this weird pressure on them to buy, buy, buy. And I haven't set up this whole process as being a, uh, you know, me asking somebody to the senior prom and what if she says no, <laughs> right? Um, Never happened to me before. Right. <laughs> um, so it sounds like you're just shifting kind of the, the, the mindset of it and the, the process and, and getting away from that rejection piece. Then. Is that right? Yeah, and a lot of things I talk about in my book, I have a list of terms you won't hear in my book. I don't like some of the traditional sales terms. I don't like belly to belly, dollar for dollar, dollar to dollar, closing the deal. You know, I, I, I have never convinced in 30 years, I've never convinced or persuaded anybody to buy from me. Right. Ever. It's not my, it's not my thought process. My mentality is I'm a consultant. I'm a subject matter expert that happens to work in printing. I can help you make better business decisions. Let's chat. If you don't like me, you don't like what I'm doing, or it's not a good fit, hey, I'll, I'll help you find somebody who's a better fit. Right. And that comes back tenfold. So you've, you've got to think of it more as I want to go out and make some friends expose myself to the community, and don't get me wrong, we're selling. But it, if you don't think of it as selling, it makes it much easier. The fear starts to fade when you're just talking. Right. Right? You, you find things, you ask questions, you have a conversation. You know, I used to babysit one of my, uh, my customer's kids in the car while they came to my office to do business. You become friends. Right. right? It's not just about business. So, yeah. And it all comes back. Right. Yeah, that's some, something I've certainly experienced in my career is that the relationships are key. You know, so oh, yes. if, you, if you develop a relationship, the, the purchasing just happens, and, and I couldn't even begin to quantify or explain where it happens in each relationship. Um, but I, some of our biggest customers I've never sold to. Um, I just, we just begin making, you know, we begin a relationship, and we, uh, we begin to talk about all kinds of things, from boating to the weather, of course, and silly things like that, if they have kids or whatever. And next thing you know, they're a customer, and there was never a time for some of our biggest customers where I said, hey, will you please buy this product from us? Right. Right. Just, it's, it's, it just an, never it's more natural that than that. Right. You know, we get along. You, you like people who – people like to buy people from people like them. You mentioned that, right. I think, with uh, one of your previous podcasts. Uh -huh. You know, if you don't like me, let's not work together. we got to spend time together a right. lot when we work together. Right. And so let's just make it fun. And, right. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's a, there's a science behind this. I sound a little squishy, a little bit touchy-feely. But there's, it's a process, right? And the process has to be bonding, getting to know, understanding who they are, what they like, what they don't like, and then deciding if it's a good fit. Because you sure. don't want to take on a bad fit, because you're probably going to have a low chance of success, yeah. and ruin that whole relationship to begin with, right? So, right, right. So, what are some of the, the when people come to you? What are the, what are some of the biggest misconceptions they have about this whole thing? Oh boy, 
like I said, how much time do you have? <laughs> we got about 25 <laughs> minutes left. <laughs> well, well, the misconception that I get a lot of is kind of like acting, right? People have this perception that you have to be really good looking to be an actor. Well, you know what? If that's the case, 90% of Hollywood would be out of a job. Right. I mean, there are some people that are making really good livings being character actors. Same thing, you know? I mean, you, you just it's, it's not what everybody thinks it is. And so... Uh, uh, so there's room for Danny DeVito there also? It, you don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> is what you're saying? Exactly. So people get... F- they, they, they think that they have to have a certain personality or a certain look mm-hmm. to be in the public space or to handle sales or be a golden-throated pitch person. Right. Absolutely not. Some of the best people I know are methodical, quiet, ask good questions, offer good solutions, follow up on time. Just the bare minute, bare, bare basics, but they're very, very smart about how they do it. And you don't have to be the loudest person in the room. You don't right. have to be uh, persuasive all the time. You don't have to be, you don't have to manipulate ever, uh, which people think. And so that, that manipulation, that can you hold the pen in your teeth kind of line. Right. Uh, can I, if one's good, two's great. Right. Wouldn't, you know, if you're buying space shuttles, that's not necessarily the case. Sure. One will do for a while. Right. So, yeah, it's just that whole idea from TV and their friends, the, the door-to-door salespeople, and that 6 o'clock call from a telemarketer. Right. That's the view of sales, and that's not. So we don't want to be used car salespeople. We don't want to be a telemarketer, and that's what we equate sales to. That's where we, that's where we get all the Because problems. that's what we get the most exposure to. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in a, what I call professional sales, right? When I'm talking to people, I've pretty much decided they have a need, and I think I can fill it. Right. But if I have a solution that I think they'll like. I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm very rarely calling anybody and asking them. Do you do you need printing? Right. <laughs> that never comes up. Right. 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 I don't really sell printing. I I, I work with customers. And yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's it's. So in the sales process, what are some of the you know? So I you know, we get over the idea of what sales is, and we've we've shifted our focus on sales. In this in the sales process, what are some of the things that people are generally doing wrong, that you you are now beginning to educate them on on improving. Good question, and let's let's go back a little because my focus is really with business owners. Right. So there's a lot of people working with existing salespeople and sales managers, making them better. Gotcha. I'm not here to train somebody who knows sales. I'm here to talk about people who don't know, who don't anything, know anything about gotcha. it. Okay. Right. But one of the biggest problems and mistakes they make is they figure business is good. I don't, I don't have time to worry about this. Right. And like I told you earlier, in 2007, in 2008, you get two different answers to that. Yeah. You know, I I have some stories in my book that talk about a, a custom home builder who I asked him one day. How do you get to business? Because it just keeps flocking in. I can't keep up. In 2009-10, he's laying off everybody. He's selling his spare car in the garage and right. the summer home and trying to just keep floating. And I, and I said, well, <laughs> you, you got to plan for that day. So for this is more than for folks listening who are have a business and they, and they don't either believe that sales is something they need to worry about or they do understand that, but they just had, don't have the first clue how to do it. That's who you're really exactly. going Exactly. I'm looking for people who don't really have any experience. A lot of business owners come out of sales. Right. You're in sales for a period. Right. So you have an advantage, mm-hmm. right? You understand the value. So I'm sometimes talking about a problem they don't know they have yet because business is good, right? Right. Well, that, that's great and, until it's not. What's the rule? 80% of your customers supply 20% of your businesses, of your gross revenue. Right. What if two of your biggest customers leave? Right. It's too late to figure out. You can't panic. If you have a sales process in place, they leave. You're, you're already in the process of replacing them. Gotcha. So for folks then who have no concept of why they need to be in sales or what, what that even looks like, what, what is the most important quality then when it comes to sales for those folks? What, what do they need to know coming out of the gate? What's the most, most important thing for them to focus on? Um, for me, and you can ask uh, 100 sales reps and get 100 different sure. you know, right, right. sales professionals, excuse me. Uh, but I always harken back to creativity. And I, when I say creativity, it's, I'm not, I don't draw, I don't paint, but uh, it's all up here. My creativity is upstairs, and it's, it's how you 
like I said, there's a lot of steps in the, in the sales process. Mm-hmm. And you need to be creative at every step because your competition isn't, not usually. Right. And it's that extra little spin on things you do that can really make the difference. So what's an example of something that, that is super creative that uh, folks wouldn't think about on their own? Uh, okay, I'm going to give you one of my secrets in my book. It's one of my favorites. All right. It's, 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 uh, I don't think anybody else is doing it, but after this goes live, I'm probably going to lose the uniqueness. <laughs> um, well, there's only like four people listening, so you'll, you'll be okay. <laughs> including us? Or, right, know, right, okay, right. Okay, go. Including Sadie and, and the two of us, or we're already <laughs> up to three. Okay, good. Well, I needed a way to to duplicate myself in small and I'm a small business owner in my day job. And so I need to be able to make new calls to new customers and grow my business, but I'm out in meetings and I'm busy. I'm actually working a lot with existing customers. So I thought, how do I do that? So I decided, okay, I'm going to go apply, uh, get all the top job hunting sites like indeed and other job uh, employment sites. Mm-hmm. And you can have, you can search for a job that you want. So I signed up as a job search person. And I put in keywords for my business. So I put in print buyer, marketing director, director of marketing, supply chain logistics. These are the people who work around print. Mm-hmm. I go to work, and then at the end of the day, I come back, and I got 15, 20 job, offers, or job postings in my inbox. And I now know they all deal in print. Right. Every company that is looking to hire those people deals with print. So I've just saved myself a heck of a lot of work. I couldn't do it when I was in the meeting. And I'll get down to the end of the week and have 50, 60 leads of which I call and, and, and research, and I get some really good leads of some big companies and some small companies that I didn't even know about. Right. But they come in every day, 24-7. Gotcha. So I'm in two places at once doing two things at once. That's a great idea. So so for, again, for the folks who are listening who don't understand sales, have never had a sales job, and uh, uh, don't know what that's supposed to look like, when you make that first call to that lead you found through your Indeed post and all that kind of stuff, um, what does that first call sound like? What, what is the purpose of that first call Again, most folks probably think if they don't know anything about sales, they think the first thing you're supposed to do is call and close the deal. Um, <laughs> that's probably not what you're suggesting, I would imagine. No. What is that first call supposed to look like when you're reaching out to somebody you don't even know them? It's a cold call, essentially, which is frightening for folks in and of itself. You're reaching out to somebody you have, you have no idea. How do you explain how you, they, you found their number? How do you explain why you're calling? What are you trying to gain from this call? Can you walk us through that whole step of that first call? Yeah, and I think this is probably the genesis of the, some of the fear we're talking about. Sure. A, a big percentage of the fear, even though that it's, it's probably broader than that. Uh, I never just call anybody and do peer research on the first call. Right. I have a pretty good idea, right? If I, in my business, if I want to know, I, I sign up for their mailing list. The minute I get a lead, I sign up for their mailing list and wait a week. I get junk mail. Right? right, it's not junk; it's direct mail, which I need. But uh, I, I learn about their business, whether it's research. Whether, so when I call them, it's great to say, "Hey, I've, si- I've seen your catalog. I've seen your website. I saw you on Facebook or wherever you saw them." You have to have a reason to call. Right. So if you don't have a reason, you're find click, a reason. Click. You know, find a reason. Yeah. Always have, find a reason to make the call and find a bridge at the end to call back when you're on your next your next call. So find a reason up front, find a, leave a bridge in the back. So when you say leave, leave a bridge, what you're saying is before the call ends, yes. set up a reason for you to call exactly. besides I'm going to call and close a deal. Can, can I follow up with some more information? Right. Do, you have, do you have an email address? Cause, you know, and, and there's also a variety of ways to contact. You can, I wouldn't recommend just willy-nilly going out on Facebook and reaching out to people you don't know. Probably going get, to get you kicked off. Right. That's the telemarketer we don't like at 6 p.m. Right, right. But that information is valuable. That, that data is valuable. And so you can email them. If you, I'm really good at finding email addresses. Right. It's scary sometimes. People say, how did you find this? And I said, right. well, you spoke at a convention in New York seven years ago, and I looked up the convention roster, and you listed your phone number. Sure. So I'm sorry I interrupted you earlier oh, talking sure. about the bridge, but um, you, you were talking about having a reason to call. So oh, yeah. um, what, you, you get the mailers, you get you sign for their, their, their newsletters and all that kind of stuff. 
Now you have a reason to call. Get hey, them on I, the phone. I saw your newsletter and it said blah blah blah. Right. And it's probably not a hundred percent something you're interested in, but it's a it's a reason for you to call them. And then what are you looking to do after that? I'm looking to build some commonality, right? So if if they have to understand your customer a little bit, are they in the same uh, business vertical that you're currently working in? I work for company A. I thought you might like to know what we're doing because we're doing some really great things that might really benefit you. Right. Or if you know there's a problem in the industry that's causing some kind of, you have a conversation, but you have to be knowledgeable. You have to understand their business a little bit because you don't know anything yet. Right. And you can't assume they just want the lowest price in town. You have to sure. have a reason to talk. And like I said, that can also be email, write them a letter, drop them a, you know, a, a phone call. There can be a lot of ways to contact and then follow up with the first call. Right. I like to. I know it's old school, but I love sending larger clients a letter. Then my reason for follow up is I a, just want a, a mailed letter, a mailed letter, yeah, okay. and, and handwrite it, put a stamp on it mm -hmm. for a big customer, and then I follow up and say, I just want to make sure you got my letter. Right. And then how they, they'll say yes or no. Right. No. Well, then then you have a conversation to start. Mm -hmm. If they have it, did you read it? No. Well, let me tell you what it said. So you have this conversation, and if you if you do it well, it's just a quick conversation. Yeah. Do you get hung up on? Absolutely. Sure. Do you get people saying I'm not interested? Absolutely. But I can tell you right now, I had one customer. And I said, you know, I wouldn't have called if I didn't think I could help. Right. Became one of my best customers. Nice. It was it's kind of a harsh line, but I figured I'm not going anywhere. If, I, if this phone gets hung up, I'm not going anywhere. Right. So I thought, why not? Yeah. No. That, that's a that's a that's a perfect uh, a perfect thing. Is it's one that shows that you're you're interested. Which is, you know, and people, their favorite thing to talk about is them. Right. Uh, and so everything, every every buyer out there is, is self-centered by nature, and that's okay. We're all that way. Um, if Pizza Hut were to call me and say, hey, I, we have a special on pizzas, uh, uh, I would react differently than if they're calling and offering me the new AARP membership, which I'm not, <laughs> which I'm not eligible for yet. It makes sense that somebody would reach out to you and say, I have a product that you're interested in right, or right. That I can help you with. Um, and so I think that that does show that a little bit of... Uh, sincerity on your part and and uh and, and uh being a little more genuine than just a random yeah your your call your phone number is number 47 on my list today right you don't want to feel like one of a million one right. of the one of the big tricks i've learned since social media the advent of social media is the first thing i look at on anything is where do they go to school if they went to western washington university you're in. that's the first thing i say <laughs> you're is in i just figured one alum could talk to another alum and you would be surprised how long the conversation can last what sure. year did you go you're not talking about sales now you're talking about uh, uh an alumni that used to, you know, went to the same school. So it's, you've taken the focus off of this, oh, someone's selling me something to, you know, so what are you, what are you calling me for? Right. That's the next question. Well, thank you for asking. I'm going to tell you. Right. right. So I love knowing who, where, where they went to school. And a lot of times in this area, it's my school. So what are some key things that in this first call, again, you're, you're calling somebody you don't know, you've done a little bit of research, you know a little bit about them because you got their newsletter or whatever. Um, you found some commonality with them. You're going to plant a seed for a reason for you to call back. What are some key things you're wanting to hear to know that you need, that there's a, a reasonable expectation that you're on the right track? Right. And what are some things that you would hear that would say, you know what, this just isn't going to be a good fit for us? Right. Well, and you, and you, you nailed it in a different way. The one word I use is relevance. If you're not relevant, that phone's going to hang up quickly. Right. Once you've established some relevance, you've established that, yeah, you need to make sure that, that they are, when you start talking to them about what your services and products are done, who do you currently use? What's your experience like? You mm -hmm. start having this Q&A, but you don't want to have it too long because you don't get that much time. It's kind of like a farmer's market booth. Yeah. You get about three seconds before they're past your booth, right. and you better say something compelling. Right. So what if I could show you something I've done for another customer like you 
And then he started responding, well, yeah, sure, who is that? Well, I can't really share that, but I can share what I'm doing, and it's making them a ton of money. Right. And they're saving a ton of money, one of the two. Right. Or both. So you try to use, you leverage your SME, your subject matter expert status, to mm -hmm. show them that I am an expert in this. You know, whether it's insurance, auto body, whatever your business is, uh, show that you can do it. And you want when they start engaging, they start asking you questions, right. that's a good sign. That's when you know. When they're just listening, and you're doing what I call show up and throw up. Yeah. You're kind of losing them. You don't know it yet. But you're losing them because you're barfing out all the part of the pressure, all this neat stuff about you, but you haven't listened to them at all. If they start saying, "Well, where are you located?" You know, you, you start paying attention, taking right. notes. So when they start asking questions, you know you're onto yeah. something. If they ask you how big of an order you can handle, then you, you know you're on the right <laughs> track, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so this first call, how long are you looking for it to last? Three to five. As minutes? fast as possible. Yeah. And okay. in sales, I've learned that once you get what you need to get, get out. Right. Don't don't keep. You can unsell yourself faster than you can sell yourself. Yeah. So they say, yeah, I'd love to talk to you. Because the, the, the goal of an introduction is to follow up, I don't care how, mm -hmm. or a meeting. The meeting is the, is, is the holy grail. Right. You want to get face-to-face -face because you know what? When you buy a house, would you buy it from somebody you've never met? Right. A pencil? Probably. A house? A car? No. I mean, there's, there's this, this power of face-to-face, -face and you need to understand that, and that's, that's the goal. You get in a right. room with somebody, like you said, we talked earlier, they have pictures on the wall, they've got a business, you get a tour, you start to bond, and right. you start to understand what the needs could be. Yeah. So there's two things you hit on here, which I have, all, you know, for many years now in a variety of roles, have tried to coach folks up on. One is, on a cold call, people just rush to the sale, and they mm -hmm. absolutely don't understand they're shooting themselves in the foot. I always tell them, your entire goal is to have a meeting. Now, if that takes one phone call or one cold call in person or two or three or whatever, that's all fine. The goal is to get a, an appointment that they are, you know, knowing you're going to be there and they're going to commit 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, whatever the time frame is to you. That's the goal for that, for that. That's the purpose of those calls. Absolutely. The purpose is not to close a deal. And people go from zero to 11 on a scale of one to 10 and, and trying to make the sale and they just shoot themselves in the foot, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, the second thing I've... I, and this is one of the hardest things for human beings, especially somebody who's trying to make sales, doesn't understand it, they're not super comfortable with it, is the art of knowing when to shut up. <laughs> uh, knowing when to shut up is absolutely one of the key things in making a sales call of any sort. Because like you said, you can, once the moment has passed, if you don't have any kind of recognition or you don't have intuition to tell you when the moment's passing, you just keep talking, you're going to annoy the crap out of them. They're going to be like, just get out of here. You know? Well, exactly. If they say, I'll take an appointment, let's set it up, and you keep selling... <laughs> Right. And you're going, and, and they're still going. What day works for you? And you're still selling. Yeah. You take the clue. Yeah. You're, you're in. Just yeah. Get the appointment. Shut set up. it up. Shut up. Have that conversation in person. Right. The phone is easy to hang up. It's hard to kick you out of their office. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I've seen people get that cue and just keep selling until the person finally says, "You know what? Never mind. Just this is not good for." Or you say something that they hadn't. They, they uncover something in the, you're still talking so they uncover something that oh you used to work there oh I didn't like that place right you, you must not be a quality person right get out so yeah you can uncover things that don't need to be uncovered by just rambling sure so so the first call is short and sweet your goal is to to find commonality um, again you're looking to book the appointment but if you can't book the appointment in the first call you're just trying to find a reason for you to then follow up. Right? right, and there's a thing in our business called the cold call, which I don't really like that. I like to call them warm calls. Cold to me is kind of kind of a chilling kind of thing. But uh, there's a joke called the honk and wave. You know, some people think, hey, I, I went out and vet, met a customer today, and the boss says, well, uh, what they say? I, said, I don't know. I honked, and they didn't come out, so I just kept <laughs> right on going. 
Well, that's not a cold call, right? <laughs> right. But, but the idea is, on average, in some industries, it's anywhere from one visit to 10 visits right. to build enough of a bond to get a proposal request or to get some serious traction. And if you give up in two or three, you, in most industries, you're not going to get anywhere. Right. So you've got to be able to have that bridge to the next call, the next meeting, the next phone call, set it up so you have something to talk about yeah. in the future. So. You know, the other thing with, with folks who, who experience frustration because it does take multiple visits, uh, one of the things I've told folks is, okay, it's taking you multiple visits because they're very loyal to their current supplier. You want to be that supplier that they're very loyal to. So don't be upset about this. This is a this is an even better customer for you because once you get them, they're there. They're, they're yours oh, forever. Definitely. So don't be frustrated with a customer who's reluctant to give up their current supplier, even though you know that you have a better product or service or price or whatever. Um, that's the one you absolutely want to invest all this time into because they're the ones who are going to stick with you once you have them. They're yours until somebody comes along who's willing to put in the time that you're putting into this. And the likelihood you're going to find that person is pretty slim. The people just aren't willing to put that kind of time in anymore. Right. I always look at it as an opportunity. Right. Uh, especially with small business owners who don't know much about sales. They, they do the honk and wave. Or they do the, the attempt, but they don't want to follow up because it's scary. It's, it's hard. There's a lot of time involved. But you, you, you got to do it. You right. Know? Right. So, so you're, we're asking you or suggesting to you that you take something you don't like doing to begin with, and after you've been told no four times, keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much how. That's pretty, like, much, yeah, that's pretty a, much summing up the sales process for folks who are already afraid of it, right? It is, but but it, it gets easier. It's like anything else; it gets easier as you do that. You know, you 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 develop this comfort level, and next thing you know, you're like I said, you're not selling. It's a conversation, right? So then you have the second call and the third call and whatever until you get the appointment. Once you get the appointment, what is, what is that supposed to look like? Well, the appointment is more of a bonding. You're, 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 when I walk into a room, I'm, I'm looking to see what the pictures are on the wall. Do they have children? Do they, are they into sports? Are they into hobbies? Do they have a Western Washington sweater on their right. on their desk? I'm looking for for commonality, unique business stat or a similar business stature. Right. You know, we know each other, uh, and in that first meeting, uh, you, you have some small talk. You get to know them. You know, one of the things I want to know when I'm there is why you why did you agree to meet me? It's a very right. blunt question, right? Uh, but again, time is of the essence here too. They don't, it is. They don't have don't, an hour. You don't get an hour, you know. And so, why did you agree to meet me? That's a great question. Uh, and, and I think it, sometimes people get a little shocked by it, but not very often. It's just that, well, you know, there, there must be a need there, right? Or, or you, so uh, that question alone gets them talking, and the goal is to get people talking. Right. When they start talking, and I can go into a lot of depth on this, so I'll keep trying to keep it as easy as possible. Sure. You're taking notes, right? Literally with a pen and paper, and that's going to generate more questions for you to ask. Right. And they're going to start talking. And if they, they stop talking and you do all the talking, that's not a good sign. Right. So that first call is more of a, what I call a needs analysis, right? Mm -hmm. Why'd you call me? Well, you're closer than all my other competitors. Well, who are my competitors? Well, A, B, and C. Okay. You know, so what, what, what are you experiencing? What kind of pain are you experiencing? Why, why am I worth it? Right. I mean, so you have to realize that they, they, their time is, is precious. So if they agree to see you in person, yeah. there's something there. And right. it's your job to find that out. And if, and if it's a product that they're currently buying and they're buying it from Brand X, and you ask that question, which, again, is a great question to ask. Why did you agree to see me? And they say, well, my current supplier messed up by doing X, Y, and Z. What's well, messed up look like? Tell me. Yeah, now, you, now you have all the follow-up questions you could possibly need to make sure you nail what their expectations are. Because they're going to tell you what their expectations are, how the, per, the current uh, supplier missed it, or where they screwed up. 
and you're going to find out what's important to them, and then this is your chance to tell them how you're better than Brand X at the, at the thing the thing that they just got done saying is super important to them. It's a perfect it's a perfect scenario. Right, right. And I always lead with saying, you know, the last thing I ever want to do with a new customer is repeat the same mistakes you've already had with your previous vendor. Right. Right. I mean, if things aren't going well, don't, don't put me in there. And let me do the same things. Let's right. talk about. Let's learn from every single issue you've had as a small business owner. I mean, you mentioned in the podcast you've had your share of mistakes. Yeah. But why yeah, recreate? More than a couple. Why recreate them? I think every small business owner should write down the mistakes they've made. And then when they bring on a new vendor, they look at that list to see if it's appropriate to talk about it and say, these are the problems we've had with my suppliers. Right. I just want you to be aware of the problems I've had. And I would write them down as a salesperson in a heartbeat. Sure. And then I would quantify them. Which and, ones cost you the most money? Yeah. Right? Well, and, and one of the key things for the, for the meeting that, that uh, um, I would strongly recommend to folks is when you come into that door, realize that it's not about you. It's about no. them. Exactly. And it's so, for whatever reason, this is just human nature. Again, our, everybody's favorite thing to talk about is themselves. But when you're in a sales position and you're walking into that meeting, you have to consciously turn that off. Everything is about them. What do they want? Why do they want it? How do they want it? When do they want it? And it, the, the more you're, you're, like you said, if you're doing all the talking, you're talking about their least favorite thing, which is somebody they don't, they don't know or care about. Their favorite thing to talk about is them. Odds are. Their least favorite thing to talk about is somebody they don't know or care about. <laughs> or, or, or your assumptions of what you think they want to talk about. Right. A list of all the things that, as a small business owner, why you might make a purchase or not make a purchase. Price, quality, service, turn time, risk. Right. You name it. There's so many. To go in there assuming that, oh, everybody wants the lowest price. That's always the assumption, yeah. isn't it? Well, I, it's, an, it's a given. My business, pro- price, quality, and service are the th- big three, but I can give you 10 more. Right? right. That I've had customers say, I don't care about price. Got to get a good price, but I, it can't be late. Right. If it's late, I'm fired. I'd rather be so. Rather pay a little more, right? So, but, but if you don't figure out what their needs, goals, pain, and objectives are in that meeting, you're trying to figure out if there's a fit. It may not be a second visit. You may not need it. You may go. You know what? I really can't help you. And right. be honest with them. But I know who can. Right. Right. We we produce millions of pieces. You're looking to produce ten pieces. I can do it, but mm-hmm. you don't want to pay that. Right. And you you become a consultant. You tell them. So you listed off four things we're looking for in that first meeting: needs, goals. Pain, pain, and objectives. And objectives. Okay. And so the, the key there is needs. You know, a lot of people need low price. A lot of people want low price. Right. But I had a customer once. I, I quoted a job for a customer, and it was like twenty thousand dollars. That was seven thousand dollars higher than the, the previous bidder. Right. And I looked at him, and he said, "You're seven thousand dollars high." And I said, "This is when I was too too new in sales to know that this is a great question." Right. I was just luckily stupid lucky. I said, "So what does that mean?" I didn't walk out like most people do or say, oh, gosh, I can lower my price. I said, what does that mean? And he just, he didn't say anything. And I said, I looked at him. He said, you better not be late. <laughs> and I said, I said, really? So I looked down at the job file. I said, I'm going to leave. He goes, yep, you can leave, but don't be late. So I grabbed that and ran out because I thought, how do I, how do you close a deal when you're $7,000 high? The last three vendors were, were low bidder, but they were late every single time. He gets billed a thousand dollars a day by the federal FDA. Right. Every day he's late with his formulary, he gets billed a thousand dollars a day by right. the, by the feds. He said all my low bidders became high bidders before the job was done. Right. I just need to know it'll be on time, and I'm willing to do that up front. Right. And so don't assume the price is it. Right. Because it not always is. Sure. So one of the things I would recommend for folks before you walk into that meeting is. For your industry, identify what are the top five things people care about. In yours, it's price, quality, quality, service, turn time, time, yeah, and and delivery, um, logistics, and on time delivery. On time delivery is what yeah, I'm getting yeah. at. Yeah, thank you. So you have your five things there for printing. Those are your five things. And you can assume everybody wants those in some degree. Right. But your job is to figure out the hierarchy. Right. So that's what I was going to get at. Is every industry has something that sounds like those five things. And and if you're building websites. 
uh, you know, a couple of those things may not be applicable, or if you're doing plumbing, a couple of those things won't be applicable or whatever. Right, right. But every industry has those five things. And so when you walk into that meeting, you have to say, here's the five things I'm, I'm suspecting you care about. Is there anything I missed from this list? Give them a chance to interject, you know, take out this number three and put it in this one instead. I really care about this. And then say, w- could you put these in order for me? Which, which one's the most important? And price is rarely going to be at the top. Right, right, and and but which is which stuns people. Which but we all assume walking we in all that all, all they care about is the lowest price is going to win. That's not how the world works. We all we all think that, but that's not how it works. If you survey people on how much their their paycheck should go to the hourly rate versus their four hundred one k versus their benefits on stuff, it, the the pay is never at the top. Right, and, pe- right. and people we don't operate that way, but we all assume that we operate that way. It's really it's bizarre, dangerous assumption. So have them put those five things in order, and then when you do get the price objection, you say, yeah, but. This wasn't the top priority for you. This was the top priority for you, and we're going to absolutely smoke this one. We're going to we're going to absolutely nail this one. Right, and if you really want to make them choose, which is kind of what you have to do sometimes, is okay. If I'm on time, but I cost more, well, no, I need, I need uh, or if I'm late, but I have a cheaper price, or if I, my turn time is faster, but I, my price is higher. Let's, right. let's let's pick and choose here. Let's let's itemize this. I, I've done it plenty of times, and you can quickly do it on the top three or four. You can find out what's number one. Right. I once had a customer after I thought I knew the answer, right. They came back a couple months later, and I said, you know, why did you pick me? And they said, you know what? You're the only one I think that can keep me off my boss's radar. And I said, what? <laughs> Perfect. Keep me. He goes, you know, y- your price wasn't the lowest, and I told you all that. And he says, but every time I screw up or every time something goes wrong with a vendor relationship and we, we lose it, miss a date, my boss is in my office. I don't want her in my office. Right. I'm sick and tired of her being in my office and I having to explain. And you've never made me explain. And as long as you keep doing that, you're my guy. Right. And so just being off their boss's radar was their need. Yeah. Right, I knew a hundred people could do what I was doing. Right, maybe even do for less and money. And sixty of them are going to do it cheaper. Yeah, but they want to be employed. They want right. to have a relationship with their boss. Is not always confrontational. So y- when you think you know what it is, I had a customer say we did. Uh, we he flew out to Los Angeles and worked with me here, and and they're based on the East Coast. And I said, you know, I got to ask you. There's a lot of printers on the East Coast. She said, my cousins live out here. Oh my gosh! Don't tell. Don't. I'm not going to repeat that. Right. But she wanted to visit her cousins while she's out working with me. I'm like, right. I, that's fine with me. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't sold. So what you think you know, or even the top ten in your industry, this one that's going to surprise you. Right. Right. So in the, in the the point I'm trying to make in the, in that conversation is for whatever reason we assume that price is going to be the issue, and we we assume that the person we're asking doesn't want to answer these questions. They absolutely want to answer these questions. They absolutely want to tell you what their pain points are. They absolutely want to tell you what their objectives are, because. They want to hit those things or, or avoid the pain. Absolutely. So if you ask them this, they're going to be very forthcoming with you, and they're going to give you everything you need to be successful with that sales call if you just ask the right question. And that, that, that's a key word. In one of my favorite books, I think it's Joe Freeze, I believe it is, question-based selling. Not all questions are equal. Right. And so asking a good question is different than asking a question. You can ask a question with a closed end, and you, you get a one-word answer. Yeah. Yes. Or tell me about <laughs> tell me about your supply chain in the plumbing industry. Tell me about what happens when materials don't arrive on a job site on time. Right. That's a whole different question than are materials ever late? Yes. Right. You're you're done. Okay. What does that mean? I don't like it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's horrible. Bad. It's, yeah. Yeah. You can see the the, the good <laughs> questions and bad questions. You got to make sure you think about your questions so you get a response. I can get you talking for hours. I guess I, right. I can see it in your eyes. Sure. When materials don't arrive on a job site. You lose money real right. fast. You got people sitting around, right? right? So, gotta be careful. So then, as you're asking these questions for this customer, you're taking notes not only for this customer, but you're also prepping yourself for the next customer you're going to go see. Because generally, people are going to have consistent 
fears and worries and needs and things like that. Right. You're going to find the one-off who the person wants to fly across country to see their cousin. That's <laughs> yeah. not going to be an example. <laughs> not the of norm. That's not going to be the norm. But, <laughs> yeah. but generally speaking, people, are, your customers are going to have similar needs and desires, and they're going to want to avoid certain risks that are all kind of similar. So you're doing homework not only for this customer, for the next customer also. Yeah, and on that paper, just to real quickly, th- those notes are, are very important. Yeah. You're looking for needs. And right. Your goal, they say if you can get three needs, that's a lot in one meeting. Right. You want to look for what we call a confirmed need. So you're drilling down, you're do- asking the question, and you get to the bottom and say, well, what happens when this happens? It costs me $1,000 a day in, fa- in fines. I would circle that. Right. That's, that's a confirmed need. They just told you, you solve that problem. I can work with you. If you say, I think low price is a need, and you circle that, but they haven't talked about price. You just give yourself a false assumption, right. and you confirmed your false assumption. You need them to say it or quantify it or talk about why it's a confirmed need. Right. So confirmed needs are not the same thing. as. Just so we're, before we run out of time, one thing I want to get mm-hmm. to for sure is we talked about the art of shutting up. What are things that you're, you're listening for when you know it's time to, to, to close the deal and walk out? But what if, what are, what if, so again, for somebody who doesn't know anything about sales, what are the cues you're looking for or listening for to know we're there, now's the time to make the offer, or now's the time to suggest that we need to go to the next step, or however you want to phrase that? What are those cues so we're not over-talking, we're not spinning our wheels, we're not sitting here waiting for too long? We've, we've identified all these things. What are the things you're listening for or looking for? Well, we're looking for them to start confirming what you've already confirmed. They're, they're, they're starting to ask you questions. and like So if we work on this project, when I have a date. Can you admit that? Yeah. Can I, they ask a bunch of questions, and they're getting to this point where you're running out of, we think about, you're running out of questions. I've answered all these. Yeah. Right? Then, then you've got to come up with, a, you know, we should really give this a, a, a test run. Right. Let's do a test. Right? But you, you, got, you start seeing them asking critical questions that you know are important because you've had this discussion, this needs analysis. You're starting to pick up on what's important to them. When you start seeing them ask questions about those things, they're, they're getting to a point where they're ready to make a decision. And I don't, like I said, I don't like the word closing the deal. I like right. uh, gaining agreement. Gaining agreement. I love that's gaining a, yeah, agreement. It's, it's positive. Right. Closing the deal is, I got them. Right. Well, that's, that's like a trap, right? Sure. No, gain agreement. You know what? My price, and, and sometimes at the end, I'll be going, before we go too far, we're talking about schedules. Is my price okay? And they're right. Like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Okay, but I didn't know that 10 seconds ago. Right. So now I don't have to worry about that. So you know the price. So, the, so if I can make this happen, if I can make this happen within the dates you want, can we can we work on this together? You can start asking those, not closing questions, but right. just suggesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when can I go to work? I'm right. ready to roll up my sleeves and show you what I do. Right. And so you, but you got, you're right. You got to pay attention to those subtle clues where they, they're, they're, they're nodding their head. They're in agreement with you a lot. When they start agreeing with you, oh my gosh, you're so right about that. Yeah. Right. Then you know you got. Whenever it. they're late, my boss is in my office. <laughs> Again, you trap them, right? <laughs> well, it's not trap. It's just that you've got to a point where they understand. You understand, and and if price is fair, and you want to work with me, it's time to it's time to have that conversation. You know, I'm kind of busy right now in the holidays and printing. Right. We should probably be talking in June for holiday printing. Right. So there's ways to leverage that kind of uh, urgency, got if it. you will, to say, uh, you know, I got capacity right now. Right. What are you doing? <laughs> Well, Greg, I want to thank you a lot for coming in. you got a ton of stuff here. I hope the book does really well. Again, it's called uh, Small Business Sales WTF, which stands for Without the Fear, not what some of you guys out there would <laughs> think that stands for. Um, really want to thank you for coming in. It's been a, I mean, you've just dumped a ton of information on us. I hope people listening were taking notes because there's a ton of stuff in there that is certainly worthy of uh, circling back around to. Uh, and maybe you'll consider coming on again. This was a lot of fun, and you got again. You got a ton of information there. It's r- nearly impossible to get through this in an hour. So definitely, I, I think we got through half of chapter one. Yeah. There's uh, ten yeah. chapters. Yeah, yeah. But exactly. it could literally be. Uh, it could take for a, a long time to go through it. But it's 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 easy. But it's it takes time. Right. Well, thanks a lot again, Greg Anderson. Um, uh, the book is uh, Small Business Sales WTF. 
Uh, thanks again for coming in. And uh, next week, we're going to have Mark Anderson, no relation, by the way. Uh, Mark is from the Profit Growth Initiative. Uh, Mark is a business coach and be sharing a ton of knowledge about a ton of stuff. I don't even know where to start with Mark. He owned a business, I think, did like $30 million a year in revenue, had something like 300 employees, um, built that up, sold it, now does business coaching. I mean, he's got a tremendous amount of experience he's going to be sharing with us. And uh, that's it for today, folks. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Oh, thank you.